Hi, this is Jess. Before we get the episode started, I wanted to add a content warning to the top. During the first half of this episode, we talk about GMing horror. So we talk about some horror themes, including loss of agency and violence and death. Then in the second half, we talk about imposter syndrome and we go, um, we talk a lot about mental illness um, or I guess mental health in that section. So just take care of yourself while you listen to this. Uh, If you decide not this isn't for you at this time, that's fine. We'll catch you in another episode, but take care of yourself and I hope you have a great day and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your hosts, Jess Geyer, and I am one half of Wannabe Games and a tabletop RPG designer, and I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hi, Craig. Hi. Uh, yeah, I'm Craig Campbell. I'm the owner of Nerdburger Games, and um, I also design tabletop role-playing games. I guess you could say we're both also publishers um, because we we do publish our own work, our self-publishing our, our little self-publishing empires that we have. <laughs> empires. Small <laughs> e empire. Yes. Tiny, tiny empire. Um, and we've got a guest here today with us, and that's Brandon. Hello, Brandon. Hey, I'm, uh, I'm Brandon. I'm the creator of uh, C22, a uh, new designer to the tabletop space. And uh, yeah, I'm hoping to get my first Kickstarter out soon. Yeah. Yeah. Exciting. Awesome. Yeah. You have a, a tentative launch date? Give uh, or take? 2 That's perfect. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> what a yeah, good that, idea. I figured, that was, I figured that was the that was the day. So I had to push myself to get that done. Yeah, that's a great that's a great date just to have people remember just off the top of their head, not even having to like, you know, follow a project or something. Like just people will hear that date and be like, oh yeah, I'm on board for that. Mm-hmm. And even if you have to push it back a month, if you did 322, it'd be like the third letter of the alphabet. So you still have an extra month. You have a month of buffer time. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to get it. Oh, I no, no, get no, it I get it. Month. Yeah, of we're, course. We're aiming. Uh, well, uh, Craig, what are we talking about today other than me talking about uh, alphabetical numeration? <laughs> um, I'm. Uh, we're, we're, we're talking about um, GMing fear and horror um in games um because they can be a little uh a little difficult to in in uh, kind of imbue into a game and have the players kind of get into it and i thought we would just kind of wander around uh, some ideas for ways to make fear and horror come alive <laughs> i guess mm-hmm. at the table yeah, this is a topic too that we've kind of touched on uh like mm-hmm. tangentially a couple of times throughout the podcast. I mean, Craig, you're a horror movie fan. I'm a horror movie fan. Brandon, how do you feel about horror and fear? Uh I don't so I don't like horror movies. We'll start with that because I don't find the movie scary, but it gives my imagination fuel to scare me when I'm walking to my kitchen. So I, yep. <laughs> I so like I go, oh, this movie's pretty predictable. Here comes the jump scare. Uh, but I'm like, okay. But then now I'm walking around the house and I go, okay, I got to turn all the lights off and then hurry out of the room because the monster in the dark is going to go and chase me through the dark, but it doesn't come into the light. That's yeah. that's how that works. <laughs> that 
uh, I'm highly suggestive with some of that stuff as well. And, and I take that away from horror movies and, and TV and so forth. One of my, oh, one of the ones that plagues me um, just since I've been, since I was young is uh, depending on, you know, like the right, the right place, the right, you know, just what, what you've got in your room. It happens usually in the bedroom, like, right. Go to go to sleep, but you know, I, I've got a window, there's shades or curtains or something, but a little bit of lights in. So there's like a dim amount of light in the room and you look and you see what appears to be like a person or a shape or yep. something in the corner. And, you know, if you, if you were to turn the lights on, it'd be like, Oh, it's, you know, clothing stacked on a chair or, you know, it's a lamp or something. And then I read Gerald's game by Stephen King, which is a story that has a, a, a major sequence that has to do with like this person who's trapped um, and thinks they see somebody in the corner, very, somebody, you know, very scary and horrific. <laughs> And I just, I go back to it all the time. Yeah. Like fear and horror can, can linger. And like, I guess the hard part is to get it in place in the first place, you know, in, in the game. I like putting, I like putting horror in my games actually. Um, and I think just a light amount of it really adds to some, uh, I guess, flavor and an atmosphere for the game. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of having a little bit of just darkness, I guess, to whatever I am presenting and that's more of my personal style and I, i've done actually quite a bit of of horror stuff like i like gming horror a lot because i don't have to you know like scare myself later because i've already i've come up with it my imagination mm -hmm. is now done with it but now i get to go and have other people experience what that was and it's it's very engaging that's one of the best things about horror is, is how engaging it is yeah, it is. I mean, it 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 connects to that kind of adrenaline that we like to seek. Mm -hmm. And that can also be a really good way to bond people at the table as well. That adrenaline and fear bonding can can be a really fun thing to do with another group of people, especially in a safe, a more or less safe kind of environment, like during a tabletop game. Um, some of my favorite moments yeah. in 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 playing games have been in fear, like horror based campaigns and games and i really gravitate toward that i i especially love like the eldritch like horror type not necessarily all like i i, I do enjoy playing call of cthulhu but like stuff like that or the scp stuff i i i love the kind of horror that makes you like just shudder a little bit but I also really like big monsters and, and deep sea creatures too, which is a fear of mine. Um, and I like having that in my games. And I particularly draw upon that with my imagination because I always think like if I'm ever, I, I could be in a bathtub, to be honest. I think like, ooh, scary monsters. Um, when I was a kid, I watched 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Um, and then I was afraid of a giant squid coming up through my toilet for a good solid year. I would wash my hands and then flush the toilet with my foot and run out of the bathroom really fast. I don't know why, <laughs> but I draw on that a lot in my games. So I feel like everyone I've ever like run a campaign for has had to encounter some sort of Aboleth or giant squid or something like that. Cause that scares me and it motivates me to put that in my game. Uh, I, I like what you said there, Brandon, about your, your imagination is done with it. And now you can give it to somebody else and, and just like that kind of continuing cycle. So how is yeah, it think, done? Like, how can you make it scary though? That's my. Yeah. So 
something that you pointed out, I think, uh, really uh, emphasizes it. Like when you're when you're revealing, like like for those SCP things and, and for the Cthulhu thing, it's it's about an unknown, ununderstandable, uh, something yeah. you can't comprehend. But when you have this monster or horrible thing, you're actually like slowly peeling back the layers and exploring what that is. And, and that's sort of, in a way, that's that ex exploration pillar that uh, a lot of RPGs have, just in a different way. You're learning, okay, it, it, eats, it eats children. It, it comes through your mirror. And you're like slowly peeling back these things. And you're like, this is more horrible. I don't want to learn about it, but I have to learn about it to beat it. And that dichotomy is, is fun to, fun maybe, engaging at least. And that is, yeah, I guess that's what I aim for with, with the horror in, in that sort of like shudder amount of it. I don't necessarily need to go for the jump scare. Mm -hmm. Jump scares are really hard in tabletops as well. Mm -hmm. So it's just not, it's not the right medium for that. It's the, that shudder, that, slowly rising tension there's the word i was looking for tension <laughs> tension yeah yeah and, and i think that that like brandon your remark about like you know learning one thing about the monster and then learning the next thing about the monster and if you just if that stuff keeps coming at the gm if you just keep giving like the players are going to be find themselves thinking when is this going to stop getting worse because like yep. every time we learn something about this it's even worse um, and as a GM, if you can kind of plan for those stages of knowledge for whatever the horrible thing is, if you can have, you know, a handful of things all kind of backed up and you can just dole them out a little bit at a time, or if you can, you know, if you're good with just improvising in the moment, you'd like, you, you might catch link latch onto something that the players are talking about at the table. And it's like, oh, well, that's a wonderful idea that you just brought up. And like, you know, 20 <laughs> yep, minutes later, yep. that's what it, you know, that's what the reveal is. And, you know, the, the, the tension of building to all of that. Um, or building to like just you know anything. I've I've done this in games. I've done it as simply in games as a countdown where I just start saying numbers out loud and start counting down. Like I've had <laughs> that's that could be terrifying. Yeah, where where the the group knows they're going up against something really horrible. Um, if it you know if it kills them, it doesn't just kill them. It like sets them on fire, burns their soul, and their families are cursed. You know, and that's just whatever else. How they're going to do their onslaught and i you know I've, I've done things where i've they're getting ready to go to to and they're you know they're making their plan and i've made it clear you know with descriptions of like you hear scrabbling and 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 you know nails clicking on tile um and a hum and you know like a, a rumble of voice you know of, of indistinguishable voices in the mm -hmm. background and then slowly describe how they're that that's all continuing to get louder and louder and then you know while they're still making their plans you just five just real quietly and you know 30 yeah. seconds later four and they're like wait wait what <laughs> you will notice too i i do that like i'll flip cards or i'll even like have a dice countdown you'll they'll start to get fast and try to do their actions it really does it's wonderful that's yeah, a I great have, trick craig about the tension stuff i actually have a mechanic i use with the playing cards to count down where like each suit counts down a certain amount of time left and like that works well just for normal tension in scenes doesn't have to be horror so yeah that countdowns are great yeah the count countdowns can I mean, it, it's it's definitely a way to spur your players into some action too right and and once they get and you get down to two and they start making you know like it, they're just 
bad decisions. Making bad decisions, right? They're making bad decisions or they're, or they're, or they're, you know, powering through things too quickly because they don't have enough time to really sit down and think about the situation because you've, you put the fear of, you know, what's coming in their head. Um, and they don't want to know, like they want to start acting before you hit zero. Um, and like the best way, I think, you know, a, a good way and, and establish the rule, however, you're going to deal with it in your group, but and make sure the players kind of start to figure that out and, and they can rely on it is, um, you know, like if you hit zero before they say they're doing something, okay, well now something horrible happens to all of you with a, you and you're surprised. And here we go. And nobody's rolling initiative checks because I just gave you a five countdown yep. to everything that was coming. Um, and you weren't prepared. So here's the thing now that's going to rain down on top of you. And that's going to, you know, throw your plans off because you didn't get to take the first step to deal with whatever it is. That's kind of like the moment in movies, you know, when they're being, they're being chased and they run upstairs or into a room where they're obviously going to be cornered. Like you can create some of those very cliche movie moments with your players when, when you do force them to make a decision or suffer a consequence. It's, it's Dallas in the ducts in Alien as they're tracking. And then they like, the, we know the thing's over there. It's over there. It's like, Dallas, it's way out in front of you. And then we don't know where it is. And then, oh my God, Dallas, it's coming right toward you. It's coming right toward you. And then, you know, he turns around and, you know, spoilers for a 35 year old movie, um, 45 year old movie. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can literally, you can just transpose things from, from movies and TV shows that you like, like just certain, um, and just give them the role-playing game, uh, spin of just like, I think that one of the best things to do is to look at like what makes that particular scene that's scary or horrific or whatever, what makes, what is it about it that makes it effective? Not specifically like, what's well, not the special effect. Um, you know, like for example, uh, just the thing, let's talk about the thing. I was just going to mention the thing. Yes. <laughs> you know, okay. The thing is filled with horrible mutant monsters that are cha changing people, you know, really, and really like, just one. Yeah. Really just one, um, in, in a whole bunch of people. And, um, you know, well, what's like, you, you could examine that, for example, like, you know, what does, what, what is it about the thing that's scary? Well, it's, uh, you know, it's an alien and there's these effects that are gross and creepy and like, there's, you know, the head spider and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes right down to it, what's really down underneath all of that is, is body horror and the fear of control of one's own self. And if you can impose that sort of thing onto the characters and the players can live that moment vicariously, like they personally are not having their body violated, but their character that they care about is, is, is being transformed in some way. Um, you can just, you know, just straight up rip off stuff from movies and TV and books and comics and whatnot. Um, but yeah. like examine what, what's the, what's the underlying fear or horror or horror that's there and, and bring that to bear. That internalized kind of paranoia, that like fear of not, not just yourself, but in, in the thing they are like, there's this theme of isolation. Not only are they isolated on this base in Antarctica, but they're isolated within their own group because any individual has no idea who to trust because any of them could be the thing. And that kind of paranoia can, can work really well, I think in a, in a, in an RPG because it's not like booga 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 horror but this fun kind of paranoia that also exists in um 
to to some extent in it follows because in it follows uh if you're infected by the ghost demon thing only you can well and other people who are infected by it can see the monster but it looks like anyone It, it could be just like an old person walking toward you or even the face of your father for example and that's something that you could literally just translate into your game for your NPCs. Maybe there is a monster that can take the shape of anybody else. And now your players have no idea anytime they interact with someone who it's going to be. And you can see them start to make the decisions like, okay, well, I'm going to always be on edge when I'm talking to anybody who I haven't been around for the last couple hours. Um you can also kind of separate one person from the group <laughs> and get everyone else on board mm-hmm. to scare that particular person. Cause that works really well too. It's happened to me and I loved it. It was, <laughs> it was one of the coolest role-playing moments of my life. I think I've talked to, I've probably talked about it on this, on this podcast before I was playing a, a, a psychiatrist who was very deeply religious and her mother um, was, was, uh, was unwell and uh, I'll put a trigger warning before this, um, before this episode, probably because I'm talking about mental illness a little bit. And I kind of wanted to, ex- to explore this, this idea of like, can you trust your own reality? That's the theme I wanted to explore with my character. And I've, my character visited her mother in the psychiatric ward. And it was the first time I ever got to use, not to my knowledge that it was happening when it happened, but this, this um, skill I had on my character sheet where I could read the future and the way my gm decided to do that was by getting everyone else on board to play a character in this vision without me knowing that it was actually happening so i got really like confused and scared about how people were reacting it was so fun because everyone else kind of got on board to help create this this experiment where i was in the spotlight for that time that seems really cool. Hopefully this goes without saying real quick note for all of this stuff is you were on board for that yes and everybody knew that so, you know, quick, quick aside, don't do any of this stuff. If the group's not up for it, you're probably playing the wrong game or don't do the gang up on unless you know that that player is going to be down with it. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it, I had been very upfront about like, I am OK with these topics. These are things that I want to explore in the game. Mm-hmm. That's so important for any horror game, honestly, because the body horror, the paranoia, the fear that can be really triggering for people. Um, and even Bugs, who, insects, spiders, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, fire, darkness, isolation, you know, um, and so it, it can be a little dicey to, to craft like a few different fearful, horrific, terrorizing things in the game. If you, you know, you got to make sure to cover, you know, not use the things that people are like, just not there for, mm-hmm. but a real, a quick note on the, the whole, the thing too, too, with the thing for, as an example, you know, it's also, you know, you can layer the things, the, 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 the components of what you're trying to do in the thing. They can't trust anybody. So you are alone in your head. Like you're saying, they can't, um, they're, they're in fear of their own bodies being manipulated without their control. Um, and there's no help coming. Um, they are completely on their own. And, you know, if things go really, really wrong, they, they've got nothing. They've even got less than nothing because when someone eventually comes to help them, they won't be there to t- warn them, which is another type of horror too. Like, <laughs> kind of like an yep, alien yep. too. Like, if if they fail, whoever comes to their ship next is going to get face hugged. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and yeah, and so you can you can layer those things on there because if one thing doesn't really take for the group, if one if the group doesn't really latch onto and get into one thing, you've got something else to fall back on. Usually, whenever I've done horror, it's been it's been let like let known ahead of time. It's like okay, we're gonna do dread today, or I made one for my own system, but like we're gonna do those two things. Everyone knows we're gonna get into horror, and the I guess the the important things to note, yeah, is I. I had very certain themes that I wanted to play with. And a lot of people kind of already knew the theme going in. I'd be like, these are the questions. And I think actually Dread does that really well, where mm -hmm. it just says, these are the questions you need to answer. And they go, oh, this is kind of the world that we're playing in. So you have the idea of the themes you're going to experience. Um, it, and I've, at the same time, I've always, always, I've always played with friends. So they've always kind of known, and I've known some of their limits. But yeah, it's important if, when introducing horror into other systems or other non-explicitly horror ones, just know where the boundaries are. That's all. I yeah. agree. Yeah. It's 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 really important because horror isn't fun if you're not actively having fun. It's not fun mm -hmm. to like go to a haunted house, for example, on Halloween with your friend who's like literally like actually shaking you with fear. That's not fun. That's just mean at that point. You want to make sure yeah. like, yeah, I'm scared, but I'm having fun with it. That's why I, I don't mind if the skeleton jumps out at me. Uh, can we uh can we like let, go and talk about a couple things maybe even mechanically because yeah i like mechanics <laughs> what you what you can do to what other people can do to help instill horror in their games um because I, I think i've done a little bit of writing on this a little while ago um, i think some of the keys we've talked about it here uh, isolation is one of them so having players not being able to necessarily talk to each other um the really the fear of the unknown is a good one that you can always do you can see that in scp and then loss of control is another thing that we've kind of covered here. And I think those three pieces you can you can play with in RPGs to instill horror to a certain degree. Some people need more of it that, to be afraid than others. But like some examples are uh, in some systems, there'll be things that prevent you from doing things with your character. That right there is loss of control. Mm -hmm. Hence the, the fear status you'll see in some classic ones where you run away from your enemy. I think that that making people not like either you taking over what their character's doing or making it so that they can only do one thing, uh, that right there is that loss of control. Like if you can't beat the monster, right? Your only option is to run. There's your loss of control. If you can't run, then it's not horrible. It's just hopeless. Just some things to talk about i was gonna like right before that i was gonna say like even in these classic rpgs you look at D, &D there's a lot of the horror elements in there because there are times where you are faced with those odds where you have to run away that is a mm -hmm. type of horror i mean all of that anything undead yep. technically horror you know <laughs> it said skeleton skeletons horror uh, all of that i there's i i like skeletons. that yes <laughs> <laughs> I 100% agree. And and some you could add um like from a game design standpoint too if you are designing a horror game you can add mechanics in there that that do those things that do like like you said take away control or um you know isolate characters. There's a move in Monster of the Week that the that the keeper can take which is to separate characters um and and that can be really effective. It's a it's a trope of the genre for a reason. 
I think you don't want to also separate, like if you can, you separate them in the room as well so they don't actually hear what the other ones are saying because I think that is even more scary. But some sometimes that might be too much. Uh, the other one I want to talk about was like the the fear of the unknown, essentially. And I think that that can be done through varying your description. So instead of talking about like, oh yeah, you see a bear, uh, you see a hulking 400 or 600 pound monster with teeth dripping with some kind of liquid, it's red eyes piercing through you. Uh, you can feel the air move with its breath. Like that right there, you're like, well, what was actually that? Like, what, what am I seeing here? You aren't, you aren't describing the thing directly. And I think that is another tool to obscure what they're seeing and let their, but also still like being kind of accurate to whatever you're trying to show. I think that is the important part of it is you describe things in a weird way. That's super important. Just description. Um, I'm surprised we haven't talked about that more. Is 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 well, I I like that's a good description too. Because <laughs> just saying there's a bear. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh. Doggy. Okay, bear. I'm not afraid of bear. Cool. But a 600 pound beast with fangs dripping with some kind of liquid. That, that's that's a little bit more like what what actually is it? is it standing on hind legs? I'm gonna I don't know. I'm gonna fill in these things to make it more horrible. Oh, I guess we didn't even cover music because I've always found music been super helpful in all of my campaigns. A soundboard is amazing if you can find one. They're a little mm -hmm. hard to put up, but like having steps to turn on, lights to flicker to turn on, doors open. I've had it where like people go and lean up against the door and then I hit uh, steps on in a soundboard. So in the sound, the song is playing along, but then also they start hearing steps and like, wait, what was that? Is that actually part of it? So I think that's always been fun to do. Oh yeah. I recommend soundboards if you can do them. Or uh, even like you have the music going, maybe it's just like, maybe you always have a little bit of music. If that's your GM style, turning off the music at a tense point can also increase yep. that tension. Um, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. what can you do to kind of mix it up a little bit in a way that does, that builds the tension so subtly, they might not even realize that something is different. Um, or maybe maybe you have the soundboard going with like birds playing in the like birds are chirping in the background as as they're walking through uh, uh the woods and then you just cut the cut the bird sound out and don't don't yep. Don't, yep. don't make don't make any notice of it they'll figure yeah, it out just... <laughs> yeah yeah they'll go hey wait when did the birds stop I've i've done stuff like that where i've turned off sounds that i've had going for a while and just continue to let the, the dread campaign continue. At that moment, when they do realize it, do you then, do you like make, do you trigger something to happen or do you wait a little bit first? I let them talk about it. <laughs> I usually, I let them stew. I think that's the important part, uh, specifically for dread that worked out just because the polls were a little bit more reactionary. It's like, I want to do this. Okay. Or for both comedy and terror silence is powerful um yeah, if you if you can do it right if you can let it be silent for just the right amount of time to let the tension grow and it you know just a little side note here it works with comedy too like if you like <laughs> <laughs> um you know if you can you you say or do something funny 
Um, and then everybody just kind of reacts to it. And then you sit there quietly and you just like, let them continue to laugh. Um, but, uh, there, there's a great deal of power in silence and pauses and make it, you know, and even like if the, pl if the players are starting to look to you, like making it clear that you're not going to say anything for right now. Like I've, I've done that in games too, where like the characters are planning something they're talking about, you know, they're role-playing, they're talking about stuff. And I wanted to kind of ramp some tension up where I just stopped talking. I had the NPCs don't react to them anymore. You know, and, and if you have, if you have a soundtrack, you know, you stop the soundtrack and you just sit there quietly and you just, until they role-play themselves out and then they all get quiet and then you don't immediately start talking again and when they look at you you just look back at them and they're going to wonder what did i miss yeah, it's like wait am i not done yet am i is there something more that we needed to do like did did you describe yeah. something entering the room that i didn't pay attention that I, we were all talking so i didn't hear you and if they start asking you questions that. don't answer right away just a little in person we're, we're doing it is it's yeah it's audio smiling, only yes. audio only but you know like if they they ask ask you you know like so um because people will get nervous immediately they'll be they won't, won't not, they won't know what to say they'll be like so um we uh we go into the room and you just look and you say nothing and you just kind of tilt your head like hmm, you know little nod okay I, like just like as if you're saying okay but with no vocal reaction and just like they're gonna they'll they'll start double thinking like what was that a good wait 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 we don't do that <laughs> um and uh you know you can build um an anticipation of something and then like after that whole silence thing goes if you know whatever your horrific thing that is that you're doing in the game that's the point where you can say oh and now you the skin on your face falls off and it starts whispering your dead father's name to you Jeez. <laughs> and nobody really saw or heard it but just kind of went geez under her breath <laughs> and covered her mouth and kind of yeah but do, don't say that until like you've been completely silent for a minute when they've been looking at you okay and and like okay well that's terrible <laughs> I, you can also like if you have skill checks or something in the game um asking them to to do a sort of skill check that will matter perhaps down a little bit further in the scene but at the moment don't resolve what happens as a result that can work in a very similar way to that silence yeah just like oh okay good that's what you got got it yeah and then you don't address it and you just go yeah and you move on it's almost <laughs> like saying, oh, okay, you're leaving the room yeah it's like you, when you're leaving the room it's like did you guys check the table no okay cool and then that's it and you know the table wasn't important but you can still ask about it <laughs> <laughs> or can you make a make a make a perception check for me clickety clack they make the roll to give you the number all right and you can write on with whatever else you're doing that's a it's such a good way to build that paranoia too now <laughs> that that being said that has to pay off it has to yep. yeah you can't you can't you can't just blindly you can do it like if you're if you want to just get like a moment of them going huh um in any game whether it's horror or not like asking for the random die roll out of nowhere and then not respond you know not reacting to it that's that that can be fun to just get a, a moment of like uh out of people but in where you're if you're really trying to instill fear and anticipation and terror and horror um you know that ultimately does need to pay off and like the best the best is when they get a high result but it's not high enough <laughs> yeah. on whatever check is yeah. that's that's where you really bring you know really pay that off like they, they oh, think oh, they're okay God. 
Like they think they just did a listen check and, you know, like, let's say, you know, a, a high listen check is 10 and they got an eight and they're like, well, I got an eight. And you're like, all right. And they're like, okay, well, so I didn't, I didn't hear anything. Mm. Well, nothing seemed out of the way. Doesn't seem like it. Yeah. But that, but that, but you know, that ultimately still missed because they needed a nine. A, a good move to pull too is to put that in your pocket, make a little note of it. And at the end of the session or at the end of the scene, they've wrapped things up. Maybe they left that room. Maybe they left the house. They thought that they, okay, they, they resolved whatever was happening there. And then you can take a moment to, to, to do the narration, the dramatic irony, which can be really, really delicious sometimes of you narrating something that none of the characters see, but now all the players get to know. Yep. And that you also have that tension between that. I mean, that's the whole glory of dramatic irony. You have the tension between what the players know and what the characters know, and that mm -hmm, can create mm -hmm. a lot of drama and fear and horror too. I haven't done that yet. It's, it's one of those things that sounds fun. The, 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 the long-term investment is, is useful in horror and um, in, in fear and terror. Um, it, it's a little harder to do these types of things in one shots. Um, it's, it's a little easier if you've got a long-term cause you can keep calling back other stuff. You can pay things off later. Yeah. Um, you can get character investment in certain things like, and you know, inaction in, in the, in, in horror is probably the worst time to, for the characters to be inactive inactive to forget to do something like if you're like the whole story's going along and you're setting all this up and you the character the play the characters are talking about how and you know and our our buddy um uh remy the the goblin is is has has been imprisoned and we got to rescue remy um and then they go out about doing all the stuff and they do the thing and it takes two sessions to get through and they forget to rescue remy then after they're done and they're gone and they're not going to be able to go back that's where like Jess said, the cutscene, you say, okay, and or, or give them a dream, like hell, make it <laughs> straight up, like, okay, you know, you see this in a dream um, and describe how Remy is horribly tortured and killed because you forgot him. Poor Remy. <laughs> Poor Remy the Goblin. Yeah. I feel bad for Remy already. Um, but if, you know, yeah, like if, if, uh, if, there's, if there's things that the characters are out to do and they forget and do not remind them. Like in, in, in lighter games, it'd be easy enough for the GM to be like, okay, are you, well, you talked yeah. about rescuing Remy before. Are you going to go do that before you leave? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Let's go do that. But in a yep. horror game, when it when it's all on the line and like, yeah, mm -hmm. they forgot Remy. Sorry. Remy just got horribly murdered and his soul was destroyed. He's never coming back. Yep. Yep. Uh, I've never really done long-term horror, so I, I've never got to use that those tricks very much. Most of mine are always... Uh, yeah, it's just a one shot uh, based on just most of the time dread. I really enjoy dread as a system for it. Um, the the Jenga tower adds so much tension. Yeah, I I... five grown men stare at a Jenga tower in fear. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> one of my favorite moments. <laughs> so good. Just, uh... I sit there. It's about three minutes. I'm like, okay, somebody's got to make a pull. <laughs> and, and then no one's, no one's moving. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Be I, I love the subversion of the Jenga tower at like a child's game. You know, supposed yeah. to be fun and exciting. Put into like dread, big ups to dread, you know, uh, for, for doing that. 
it's how 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 awesome is that um I think though, uh, we've had a lot of really, really good discussion. I, I really like a lot of the ideas presented here, but in the interest of time, because we've talked about mm-hmm. this for 40 minutes, um, mm-hmm. let's talk about something really scary. We're gonna talk about making... imposter syndrome. <laughs> making <RPGs. laughs> yeah, making oh. RPGs and feeling like you you are good at it or you know that you belong there. And the, no, no, really, no, yeah, I, this is a game. It's it's okay. <laughs> I I think everyone's gone through this, right? Yeah. Uh, well, this I'm is one of those right things now. that yeah we're ta- we're talking about it from the from the designing standpoint, but we're all you know like this is something that GMs feel. It's something that players feel. Like you just don't feel like you're as good of a role player or good as a gamer or whatever as somebody else in the group. One of the worst, you know, one of the biggest, I guess, uh, propagators of of imposter syndrome is compare comparing yourself to others yeah um and so that that can be like like the toughest one of the toughest things i think probably to to deal with is like you're if you're always comparing yourself to others whether it's comparing yourself to um another designer or like i play in this game with this other person that was a gm that was had i had this one time one time game with this one person this one gm who was just amazing and i can i can't do that um or whatever you know in any any part of your life i suppose um and it's I, I don't know for sure what the best way is to stop comparing yourself to others, but I know there, there are things that I try to keep in mind to deal with that. And that, you know, like, I think first and foremost among that is like, they weren't always that good. You know, they, no, nobody was just birthed out of their, their, <laughs> their mom, um, a, a top rated game designer, you know, like the, like they, they built a skill set. they learned and they worked and, you know, I mean, maybe as a game designer, you're doing that too. You're, you're where that person was that you idolize or that you think so highly of, you know, you're there, you're in those early stages. And, um, I, I don't know if you know, keeping, this, but just Matt keeping Mercer, that in mind. I don't know if you know this, but Matt Mercer, uh, DM to his first GM game before he could speak. <laughs> so I, some of us are born great <laughs> but i think that's i think it's a, a good point and I, I actually was thinking about this uh yesterday just about why why it happens and uh i hope we're all aware with the dunning kruger effect i am so but go ahead I, I for think, the sake of the listeners yeah. so i there's there's some key points on this graph that explains that the more you know about something and it's a, it's a relation of how much you know and how much confidence you have about knowing it. And there's this early spike of people who don't really know that much, but think they know the most. And I think imposter syndrome comes right after that point where there's this giant trough, is this giant spot where you feel like you know slightly more than you did when you knew nothing, but you actually know a little bit more than when you thought you knew everything. And I think right when you hit that point with the various amounts of skills. So for example, you start designing some stuff and you're like, oh man, I, this is a really good design. It's the one thing I made. And then you go and look at other people's designs. You start learning more about different designs. You go, oh wait, but all these other ones are really good and you're finally understanding it. And the more designs you make, the you can get better at designing. But then there's also the aspects of, of marketing. There's the aspects of layout. There's the aspects of judging art there's the aspects of actually editing and writing words that make sense like there's all of these different skills that you can have an imposter syndrome for 
for RPGs, and they're at different points along this Dunning-Kruger graph. So sometimes you're in that trough on some of them, and that's where you feel the most like an imposter. And other times you're actually pretty far off to the right, and you're like, I'm, I'm actually pretty good at this. I've, I've made some games. I'm not as confident as I was when I was at that peak when I knew nothing. But I'm still pretty confident because, right? You know, I, because you've I've passed into games. the you've passed to the other side of the Dunning Kruger effect, which is the people who are very good at something or who are experts yeah. in something recognize how much they still don't know. They may yeah. know a lot, but they 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 recognize that there's a lot they don't. That's a good place to be because you've like you it, it 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 motivates you to learn more and to do more and become better. But it also like you can you can start to get more comfortable in your own skin that like, okay, I'm pretty solid at this thing, but I'm going to keep improving. Yeah. And I, that was something I thought of yesterday. So this is a very new thought <laughs> to see how you guys felt about, about that in general. Like, does that sort of align up with your expectations? Is it off? I don't know. No, I think that it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but I think even, even people who are really like, professional and expert in as expert as you can be in in the field that's only been around for 40 years um i feel like even they you know do experience from time to time a little bit of imposter syndrome maybe not everybody i don't know if anyone is 100 confident in their skills all the time uh but it, it does make a lot of sense to me like people who are kind of in that that middle area like you are starting out maybe you've even published a game before and now too in addition to that you're around a bunch of other people who are making games and who are making content mm -hmm. and they're doing all this stuff and you have more things to compare yourself to because yep, really yep. like you said craig sorry there's a party going on if you can hear that i don't know what is happening oh. outside my street okay good um, <laughs> i did hear one woo yeah so there's some woo girls out there and boys <laughs> um it really distracted me Oh my gosh. <laughs> Let me recollect my thoughts. You have a lot more people to compare yourself with um, and a lot more products that you're probably being exposed to because you're trying to learn from all these other people and, and games and, and writing. And yeah, like Craig, like you said, just comparing yourself, comparison is the thief of joy is the saying. And, and that can be really true, uh, but you have to understand that you cannot be exactly like somebody else, even if they are at quote unquote the same level, even if they started at the same time you did, or they make the same kinds of games that, that you make. You're different people, you have different experiences, you have different things you're bringing to the table and what might work for you doesn't work for them. And they're probably looking at you too and thinking, why can't I be like them? Uh, I, they did this so well, I'm a fraud. I think where you gotta like be really careful though with, cause every, I think that this is a natural feeling that we get just as, I think it's a human thing. I don't know, I don't know if my dog has ever experienced imposter syndrome, but uh, <laughs> what you have to look out for is when it, be does become an actual problem like it is something that you are thinking about obsessively um or it becomes an intrusive thought or it is yeah. manifesting as depression or anxiety and looking out for the same kinds of symptoms that you might look out for um for yourself like just really do take care of yourself when uh when you start to think those feelings and, you know, here's something you can take from my therapist. How about that? Uh, 
positive self-talk can be a good, not necessarily a, a, like a, a prevention, but it can be a, a way to kind of ease those feelings. Like finding something about yourself that you like and finding something about your games that you like and actually writing it down or speaking it out loud can, at least for me, can work wonders. Um, not necessarily something I do all the time for games, but it is something I've done um, in my career and in, in, in life. Um, it, I think, yeah, just got to be careful with uh, how far are you taking this idea that I am not, I don't belong here or I'm a fraud. There's a level where it is an actual problem. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Everyone, everyone experiences it to some degree, but when the degree is inhibiting mm -hmm. you from just living or getting things done, being happy, then, then it's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. You have to like, I'm sure that there are people who have wanted to just completely scrap a game or a project that they're working on because they're like, oh, this sucks. I suck. Uh <laughs> Also, maybe your project does suck. Doesn't mean you personally suck. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like they're two yeah, different. I, they're two different things. Let's let's yeah, throw let's let's throw this out there real quick. Um, some of your projects do suck. Some yeah. of my projects suck. Some of the games yep. I've tried to design suck. Some of the ideas that I noodled around with for a while. Nope, that's not going anywhere. That's a terrible. That just doesn't work. I, I'll, you know. Um, you know. The, I have recognizing that Steam. recognizing that some things just aren't that going sucks. to work. Wait, what, what was that, Brandon? I have a video game that's currently on sale on Steam that sucks. <laughs> so, like, we all know it's it's true. This 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 happens. I've it's important to get it out of the way. Actually, there was something I heard at, uh, when I was in do, trying to do video games for a while. Uh, it's the first ten games that you make are uh, are gonna suck. So just get them out of the way, <laughs> right? So just worry about finishing them. Um, I've heard and, that and sometimes, for, for RPGs and for, yeah. you know, writing short stories and all that stuff. Yeah. And I think that's a little simple for, I think it's actually every time you make a major change to your game, now you've kind of made a new game, right? So technically you've gotten one of those out of the way. So you're just, you could be iterating on the same game and you're like, well, I have to get this one finished so that I can make my other nine bad ones. Like, well, no, if you've changed it pretty majorly 10 times and it feels different, like, this could be your good game. Like you could be yeah. there already. Absolutely. But it's just I mean, important to note that you're going to go through a lot of changes. You're going to understand that this thing needs to change. What you originally envision is perfect. And then you write it down and you can now actually make it amazing. Once it's written down, you can critique it. Like, right. That's, it's going to go through this process of change. It's never going to come out the exact way you've imagined it in your head. That happened. I've I've talked about this before. That happened with me with Die Laughing. I tried designing that game five or six times. I designed five or six not good versions of that game. Those were that, that those were five or six of my turds <laughs> that I got out of the way before I finally like, oh, this is how this should go. This is this is what works. Yeah, that's just how it works. That's just how design and creation works. Yeah. And you might also produce a, a very awesome thing the first time you ever try. And then the next time you're like, it doesn't work out and that can trigger your uh your imposter syndrome like ah i've lost it permanently my mojo it's gone <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's just a big site it's like it's a, it's a cycle you have to kind of go through a lot of stuff and even even then you know how many like you might the game that you think sucks someone's probably like man 
yeah, but he's got a game on Steam, though. What do I got? <laughs> I got a pile of code sitting around in my basement doing nothing. I mean, it's it, it's it's so I wish it were like I wish you could just say it's so yeah. silly to feel this way and then be done with it. But obviously, that's not how brains work. Um, but yeah. <laughs> all three of us, we're all talking about it. We've all experienced it. Uh, and, you know, I think being a little bit more open about it um about people's failures about what has failed what um you know feels bad we don't often open up our trunks full of rough drafts to other people um but at least acknowledging that they're there can i think be really helpful to new and budding Mm -hmm. um game designers i think it's especially important for people who are in marginalized communities because there's that extra pressure and that extra feeling of not belonging um like when, when I go to a convention, I, I mean, I've noticed there it's, it's mostly men at conventions uh, and that are running games and running booths and making games. And, you know, I've, I've really reflected on that and pondered that a lot. And, you know, it's, it's, I, I think of maybe, maybe other people who are looking at the demographics that exist and thinking, wow, obviously this isn't for me, whether they're conscious of that, like of that thought or not. So again, it's, I think it's also our responsibility to, you know, be accepting and open and, and, and show places of mentorship for, for new people and, and give positive reviews and all of that. I think uh, it's really important to um, kind of throw down a, a rope to, to people when you are experiencing your positive high times. Right. And connected to that on the flip side is like, you know, throw a rope to people to help them, but then also recognize the people who can throw you a rope. Know where your, I've I've said this one before too, know where your cheering section is, you know, find that community of people that are supportive of you. I'll be honest. You know, there are times when I post a little something on my discord, which is filled with all sorts of lovely people. Um, and it, there's people that post kind of some fairly regularly. There's po- people that have posted a lot. They go away, they come back. There's, you know, there's always this kind of change, but there's ultimately it's, it's fans of Nerdburger games and the stuff I'm designing. And I post stuff on there, um, to share and to keep them informed and, you know, make them kind of keep them in the inner circle. That's what the discord is, right? That's the, the, like the, the, the super fans. Um, but there's part of me that's always like, you know, I wouldn't mind if this got a couple of thumbs up emojis and a couple of comments that were like, cool, awesome. You know, because that, that yeah. that's a pick me up. That's, that's something, those are the types of things that keep you going. I'm having a tough time getting through something. And I say, you know, well, I think this works. Okay. Like I, I, um, I did something like that just with something recently. I, I posted commenting, you know, I think, I think I got this thing figured out and myself, I'm kind of like, well, I worked on it. <laughs> I don't know if I really got it figured out. I think I do. And you know, a couple of people make the comment. They're like, Hey, that's cool. Awesome. Great. Mm-hmm. I hope to see it someday or something, you know, like, um, you know, when you're ready to play test it or bring it out or whatever, um, just to get that little, lift you know, like no you know play play get play the you know play your game with your friends or talk about it with your friends or find your online community or if you've got yourself established a little bit and you've got some fans that you know are regularly uh, talking to you on twitter or discord or whatever you know use that rely on that yeah the amount of times i have turned my computer towards alex to have him look at a page of layout and say 
tell me that this looks good. I, I, if, <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time I would have at least a hundred dollars. <laughs> uh, I think too, um, collecting your, collecting your praise. Like when someone says something nice to you or like makes a comment, maybe it would be helpful to screenshot it and keep it somewhere on your computer that you can look for. I like to keep all the nice little notes that my students write me when they say, like when they give me a thank you card or when they write a nice little note on a little sticky note, like, oh, Ms. Guy is the best teacher. I, I love that. I live for that. And I keep them on my wall. And every time I'm having a bad day or maybe like, I'm like, oh my gosh, my students hate me. I'm a terrible teacher. I can just look over at that wall and I can see that's not true. I have in this moment in my head right now, I might not have that cheering section available to me, but there it is. There's the evidence that I have had fans. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I, I think just whether or not it's like you're getting that like on something now, or you can look back and say like, yeah, I did get a like on this before I got that thumbs up. Someone said, oh my gosh, someone posted a funny GIF uh, of someone shouting and cheering. Take those moments and collect them. So you have, have, uh, have something to look back on. That's nice. And yeah. it, it will elevate your mood. It's 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 what the kids are calling keeping receipts, right? Yeah. And and too often keeping receipts is like keeping receipts of somebody that was, you know, pulled some BS, um, tried to gaslight That's somebody, just screwed with somebody. Yeah, this is a term that I've I've heard quite often where people and it's usually used to say, like, you know, somebody was being a dickhole to me and I, you know, or they they tried to cheat me on you know, something. And I kept receipts, like they kept screen captures of conversations and things like that to prove like, yeah, this person said this thing, they did this thing to me or to somebody else, or they, you know, you know there's nothing wrong nothing you, like you, anymore. Yeah, yeah. You can keep, you can keep receipts <laughs> of the good stuff too. Like have a, have a, have a happy little, have a happy folder on your, on your computer. It's like, that's, that's all the screenshots of all these nice things people have said to me. Yeah. There's, there's a, uh, when I think my first, I love that first time or <laughs> second time showing off, uh, one of the just the C22 system before I actually am making what I'm doing now. Uh, I had an example tactical game, and I go to Grand Con and I play with some people. And there's two people who had asked me, or one person asked me, when will this be on Kickstarter? And I still remember that like three years later. And I go, wow, somebody cared that much about what I had made yes. that they wanted to see it. And so, I, yeah, that's, I guess, me keeping receipts. And those, those little moments can fuel you through years. Yep. It's like, it's, it's great. Oh man. I've had people ask for my autograph in books that I've written for and, and, uh, or, or my own. And like, sometimes I'm like, my autograph is on someone's bookshelf right now. And it's probably a treasure keepsake. <laughs> and, and <laughs> I've, I've, Paid attention. I've paid attention to that too. When you know, if somebody asks you to sign the book, somebody several months ago reached out, said they loved that they loved die laughing so much that it's like them and their friends go to Friday night game. They play die laughing every single Friday night when they get together. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, wow, you know, wow. like die laughing. Like yeah. I, I made that as a game, like, oh, you play it now and then. No, they that's their thing that's on so Fridays. Cool. Um that's awesome. Yeah, that's one. That one's going to stick with me for a long time. I I really hope I never forget it. Um, I don't have a screen capture <laughs> of the uh, of the of the comment, but I know it's out there. And they made a cut. They like somebody in the group too made it like a custom monster that is based off of an in joke amongst the group. 
and they showed me the custom monster and I was like that's spectacular like oh yeah my I like am still to this day powered by a person who is not an immediate friend or family and has no familial connection to me said that moon punk was their favorite game and I'm gonna I'm gonna ride that high for as long as I can <laughs> uh it just the other day Alex and I found um the Baltimore Public Library ran Moonpunk as part of their like Voices of Democracy, like community museum, and I was like, "That's the best thing! <laughs> That's amazing! That um, Very cool!" <laughs> maybe, maybe, um, like I can imagine for more popular games that you get a lot of. Like if you Google your game, you get a lot more um, negative feedback mixed in with the good stuff. Um, maybe yep. if that's something that would really bug you, maybe you have a dedicated Googler who isn't you, but, uh, <laughs> but for, for these, like a lot of smaller games that you're mostly going to find, unless it becomes like really controversial or viral or something, you're mostly going to find, um, positive stuff. I'm thinking right now about Wander Home because Wander Home is like, there's so much praise about it so much, but for for probably for some very um f- yeah definitely for some very bad reasons uh jay the the designer of the game has gotten a lot of like internet hate and that can kind of drag some of that down and i feel like that might also contribute to some of the imposter syndrome that a lot of us feel like you get yeah like one negative comment can make everything so much worse than like 10 positive comments but that's again the power of keeping receipts like you can see the numbers look at all these nice yeah, things yeah then i guess something we can do then to help other designers through their imposter syndrome is tell them like things that we we liked about it i learned that actually from league of legends you you tell you be really nice to your teammates and they do better so in this case be really nice to the designers that you like point things out that that you like about them and that that really means a lot to them i i remember like first for We'll go back to the teacher one. I said this to my physics teacher. Uh, I, I went back after, I think in the middle of college, I went back to go and thank my high school physics teacher for helping me save like half a semester because he pa- had helped me pass two tests or something. And I'm like, can I give you a hug? Because this was like, you, you know, it, was, it was really nice of you to help me get past this. And I, hopefully that still sticks with him. Um, I, remember, I can guarantee you that yeah. it, it will like teaching is one of those Good. careers where you get imposter syndrome a lot. And just like the, like a student said that I meant something to them and they might sit and cry in a good way about that. <laughs> Good. Good. But, but no teacher on this podcast has ever sat and cried about any sort of thing like that. I, I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> anytime anytime a student has ever had a conversation about how much they've improved because of my class and i'm like like telling it to my face i had to be like don't cry don't cry don't cry in front of the student they're gonna think you're weird (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're supposed to be a strong role model not a massive not a puddle of tears and and uh another thing that i like to encourage people to do is like it's it's easy to and and it's hurtful to yourself to uh relegate your you know your feelings of goodness like when like when you're doing good is like well i published a game so now i'm officially like now i'm happy mm-hmm. well in the process of getting to publishing that game you had 30 other victories 
you know, find those little victories, those little wins, enjoy those, like give your, give yourself a chance, pat yourself on the back for those. Like when you first started, you got a game, lo- a logo done when you had your, you know, when you finished play testing, when you um, first started to see art, like that, that's one of the ones I, I love talking about. Like every time I get art from, uh, for, from, for, for a game, I'm like, Oh, this is, this is, this is awesome. This is like, it's real. It's a thing. Yeah. I, I made a thing. And now somebody yeah. is taking that and translating it into this wonderful art. It's so good. Um, and finding, yeah, just finding all those little wins and, um, you know, it's, you might have to go digging for them too. Like I found myself every so often, I think about this guy way too often, a veteran made, and I posted about it literally today, a veteran game designer, somebody with like 10, 15 years under their belt, um, didn't like something that I wrote once and told me in an email personally to me, maybe you're not cut out for game design. Those are the words that person used. Maybe you're not cut out for game design. And I had to, you know, I, I think about that every so often. I'm like, okay, yeah, that person said that. 13 successful Kickstarters. This year I will pass 10,000 books sold. So suck it, guy who can't get his yeah. Kickstarter out in 10 years. And so if you, maybe you now you know who that is that said that to me. I want to stay <laughs> Actually, back I with don't. you after this podcast <laughs> is over. And I want you to tell me, I want you to give me a name. <laughs> Um, wow. <laughs> never, ever do that particular thing. Oh my God. Yeah. Jackass. Yeah. Not whatever that was, but you know, I, yeah, to this, that, right. that was 15 years ago, 10, 10 to 15 years ago. And I still find myself thinking about it every so often. And I have to remind myself, like I've done this and I've done this and I accomplished this and this and that. And da, 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 da. I'm flabbergasted. Yeah. <laughs> Because that was, that was, that was like really, I think probably one of the first times that I had somebody that really just, you know, just straight up slapped me down. Um, you know, it was early in my freelancing and, and just, yeah. Yeah. That, that's terrible. Dismissed me. I think it sucked. I'm sure. And there's plenty of people who deal with that stuff. So you, when you, you know, you've had people say that to you, those types of things to you, like you just got to find, find the thing that offsets. That's like, Hey, yeah, maybe that person thinks that it's an opinion. Remember criticism is almost always personal preference because we're dealing with art here. People it's all people's interpretation of whether they like this particular type of game or not, whether they like what ch- the choice that you made for this game, separate feelings and facts. Feelings are not worth dwelling on long-term when it's negative crap coming from people. Look at the things that you have done. I do want to touch back on the, you had mentioned how a lot of people say, I, I only feel good after I've released something. This is my time to be good. And, and then you talked about like, well, break it up over smaller periods. And I think that's important. Actually, personally, I was, I'm, I'm probably most uh, susceptible to that where I have to base my happiness sort of on milestones mm-hmm. and yeah, recognizing it so you can set smaller milestones and then essentially microdose that happiness that accomplishment. <laughs> yeah that's a good word for it so that you go oh man i got this logo done today okay cool now i've got this outline done so now i know how to fill it in because the outline means that i don't have to think as much about the higher level details i just fill in this section this is my header i fill in this section cool now i've got another easy thing to do and i think that breaking down that process is is important so that you don't you know feel miserable for 3 months and then happy for a day yeah i also trying not to like 100% cut it is a natural human tendency, I think, to connect your successes and failures to your personal self-worth. I think that that is a tendency that people have. 
but it can be a very harmful tendency and just making sure that you step back and realize like, okay, your, your successes and failures don't actually make you a good person. doesn't make you a successful human being. Um, and, and, and really think about the things that aren't necessarily part of your, your game design, um, or, or anything else that, that isn't about like, you know, your, your human connections and, and personality and successes and character, which are what really does matter. Um, I, I think that that easy thing to say, hard thing to do. I get it. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, cause I mean, I feel the highs and lows when I'm success- successful and when I fail and, you know, I've suffered from a lot of anxiety in my life because of, um, pressure to succeed. And, uh, and I have suffered a lot of anxiety from failures, uh, which can, can be a lot worse because I'm, I mean, I'm neurodivergent and that can, that can be really hard when, you know, I see a lot of people who seem to do things really easily. that are really hard for me to learn how to separate that. Um, and again, I want to reiterate, if these are feelings that are persistent and pervasive and invasive in your life, that is a moment where you need probably to seek out some, some therapy that might, that would be a, a good avenue, uh, for you. And therapy Absolutely. can be preventative too. It just, because you're not experiencing that high amount of anxiety now, doesn't mean you won't, you can't get some strategies from a therapist. If you can afford it, if, if you have the insurance, go for it, do it. Um, I would highly recommend this. Wow. Deep. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Important topics today. I mean, there's some heavy stuff, but I do agree. I think we should, I think like, you know, we go to the doctor to get a checkup regularly. Why can't we do that for our brain too? Our brain is arguably more complex. incredibly more (laughs) i i feel like i like if 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 i get a bruise i can at least see the bruise you know that's there yeah um whereas everything else is just you know um yeah it's i i feel like kind of not again not a cure-all but talking about this stuff more often and being open with it will do everyone a, a a great service uh, I'm so happy that we live in a world now where people are having these conversations as opposed to when I was in high school and mental health was not talked about at all. Wasn't a thing on my radar, really. Um, I, I, I'm just glad that, you know, people share this kind of stuff and, and continu- continuing to, to do that, I, I think, mm-hmm. is, is the way to go. And also giving nice positive comments to designers if if someone makes something that you like tell them give them a little hug. yeah just write them a little note to creators to friends mm-hmm. doesn't just have to be designers mm-hmm. but positive words are really helpful they mean a lot and when you do receive those compliments those things that are going to carry you let those people know that that happened let, let them know that you you just got me through my week or that's that's a you know that's a that's a compliment that I'm going to carry for a long time. That's, that's worth doing too, because like when some people, some people, you know, sometimes that, that, that person might actually feel feeling a little bit bad too. And like, they have a hard time, like making that sort of a, like reaching out to somebody that they don't really know and paying them a compliment is a little anxiety filled. And like, how's this person going to respond? Well, respond nicely, respond, respond positively. Um, And then that person will be more likely to continue to to heap praise upon other people that they appreciate. And then they'll, we'll just build a nice, nicer place to, uh, to do all of this mm-hmm. in. Well, 
Brandon, thank you for helping us build a nicer place to do all this in general. I've really <laughs> enjoyed the conversations we've had today, and I really appreciate you taking some time out of your, your morning to come be with us. Yeah, thank, thanks for having me. Where can we find your stuff? Oh, right. Uh, C22system.com is the site where, for my engine, I guess. Uh, the game Freelancer's Guide is actually now, there's a free version now up on both DriveThruRPG and itch.io. So you can just go take a look, download it. It's 106 pages, so kind of long for a free version, but there's a lot of unique mechanics in there. So I felt like it was important to include a lot of it. Um, I'm at C22System on Twitter, and uh, you can also join my Discord through that area as well, because that's where I'm most active. And I am Yeah, I'm familiar with Freelancer's Guide and with the C22 system. Yes. And I love the world of the Freelancer's Guide. It is really cool. There's a lot of Thank cool sci-fi sci stuff in there. So um, I go, go check out Brandon's stuff. That was my imposter syndrome, actually. Like, the, really? I'm like, I'm not really a creative writer person. I'm just going to put down this stuff here. And, and, and you're like, that was my favorite part. I'm like, oh. Well, okay. I yeah, I'm, I'm I think about, about it a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I think about it from time to time. I'm like, that was a really cool. I like that little alien species that's going on in that. I want to, I want to investigate some more. I want to play that. <laughs> uh, you can find my stuff. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at Joska. You can also find my games at wannabegames.com or on Drive Through RPG or on Itch, all under Wannabe Games. And I don't have anything out right now. I have the means of magic in production. We're getting art for it, which Good is luck. always really fun. And I am Craig Campbell um, at Nerdburger Craig on Twitter, Drive Through RPG. The website is uh, nerdburgergames.com. And right now, uh, Felt Friendship and Feelings is on Kickstarter. It's a puppet Ooh. game where you go on puppet adventures. Um, and the dice mechanic is built around sharing. Yes, you are sharing your dice. So, uh, yeah, check that out. That'll only be up on Kickstarter for a couple of weeks. It's just a small kind of zine game. I've been excited about this for, for some time, and I'm very excited to see that puppet in the video. <laughs> uh, thank you to Avel, uh, sorry, to Steph Sachs for um, our opening and closing song, Avel. Yeah, I got that right. Steph Sachs did Avel. It's released under Creative Commons. Uh, thank you for that. And thank you all for listening. And thank you all for stumbling through me, through that with me. Bye. I'm bye. End of podcast. <laughs> bye. <laughs>